Hello and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect industry leaders to discuss experiences, challenges and successes in the gaming industry. I'm Adam and I'm your host for today and I'm joined with Stanislav Stankovic, Casey L. Casey and Georgia Arena to discuss maintaining player expectations in live service. But before we jump into that topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions of who you are and what you do. So uh, Casey, do you want to kick us off? Yes, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here again. I'm Casey. I'm uh, the Life Service Director at Arrowhead. I also do a bit of consulting at AshesAndDiamonds.com. Uh, been doing video games and, and, and been working in video games for the past uh, more than 10 years. Uh, started my career in free-to-play games, and now I am working on a uh, unannounced uh, third-person co-op action game. Nice. Uh, Georgia? Hello, I'm Giorgia Arena. I work as an art director in, uh, in King for the project called uh, Candy Crush Soda. I've been in King for about nine years, which is a little bit less than uh, my entire half of uh, a little bit less than half of my career. <laughs> uh, I started with the comic book industry and movies, and then I moved in, when I got the chance. I moved into gaming. I love gaming. Uh, I'm a gamer myself, um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, finally, but not least, uh, Stanislav. Yeah, uh, so I'm uh, <clears throat> currently working as a creative director at a studio here in Helsinki, Finland, called Northern Stars. It belongs to Pixel United. Uh, company before that, I was working uh, for EA, uh, for Track 20 Studio, also in Helsinki, Finland. Um, and before that, I was working uh, with Rovio in a small studio they had in, in, <clears throat> in a town called Tampere, which is also in Finland, some 200 kilometers to the north from here. Um, my entire career is, is tied to the free-to-play games, uh, mainly. The, the, the biggest uh, project that I worked on uh, was the EA, was the SimCity Build It, which is a mobile version of SimCity uh, franchise games. And now I'm working on yet unannounced, uh, also free-to-play game with a new new company. Awesome. So as always, you've each got a question relevant for discussion for maintaining player expectations in live service. So as usual, we'll work our way around the room with each of you posing your question, your reasoning behind it, and each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So uh, let's start with uh, Casey. What's your question and what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so we uh... When we talk about monetization systems and, and business models for games, uh, specifically for platforms like PC and console, where we have a very traditional user base, obviously uh, we have a lot of young people playing as, as well today, and, and we have come a long way with monetization. Uh, but I think uh, there is this thing where players have the ability, obviously, thank you to the internet, they can break down games, they can break down uh the the business models and they can break down you know the intentions of the of the creators of these games and i think for me it's about understanding like how would you go about com being compared favorably uh what's interesting for me as an example uh if you look at call of duty for the past 10 years roughly as they introduced you know they went from loot boxes to to uh and now we're in the in the space of battle passes etc they launch and they never launch their monetization system on day one. Now you could argue that can be a technical thing, but it's very interesting to me, even though they, everybody knows from a community standpoint that that is coming in two, three weeks or a month or whatever, uh, but they never launch with that. Uh, so I, I think for me is also like for, for 
getting a good arguments for uh, indie developers on how to think about that, how to com be compared favorably. And that's like uh, the question that I have that I would like to discuss. Nice. Uh, Georgia, Stan, which one of you wants to go first on that one? Stan? Yep. So to me, um, yeah, this is very, very crucial question because people now do have the opportunity to 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 uh, examine as as you've stated and, and compare everything. And uh, my experience with free to play points out something very interesting. I think that the free to play players, uh, also they are quite often kind of named as casual or or so on, are actually some of the most sophisticated uh, customers that you might have in the industry because they are constantly about these uh, transactions and they really do compare everything that they are purchasing. And usually they have a pretty clear idea about the value of the things that you are offering. So the main thing there is to have your player first in mind and uh, kind of constantly try to provide the, the, the value for them in what you are, what you are delivering. Now I know that they, this sounds pretty vague, but you simply have to know your game and your audience. And it's very hard at the beginning. So at the beginning, you basically model your audience um, based on comparison with other games <clears throat> and other products. But as you go on, you learn gradually what resonates with your players and what are they all about, uh, their mentality, their motivations, their way of thinking, and how are they behaving within your game. So it becomes easier and easier to 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 get get that. Tricky part, of course, is to get them to spend uh, for the first time or provide them value. Uh, first time around before they have a comparison point to that. But that gets easier and easier as our, our more and more players are playing free-to-play games and they have already established mental models what we expect from the games and so on. Uh, but key is that that you you have the, the player as the customer in mind and provide value there. Yeah, that's a great answer. Uh, Georgia, what's your take on it? I fully agree with this player um, perspective in the sense that uh, it's not about the pricing. Uh, the premise is that I'm an art director, so I don't do pricing. <laughs> but uh, I don't think um, I think that it's not about the pricing itself, but about the value perceived by the player. So depending on what the, what kind of value the player perceive and uh, how you uh, give it to them. Um, for example, I give you. A, Example, like for example, a collectible, collectible of rarity, rarity item that can increase the status of the player. For example, I go around with a Ferrari in real life, and people said, "Oh, this person must be rich." And you pretty much work in the same in the same way in the games. If I have a really extremely rare item, or if I have uh, something that has been uh, given uh, during uh, a specific amount of time during a campaign in a game, that increased my status as a player. So in that moment, I became a rich player like someone that actually has something different than other than other players so it's about more than the pricing of that item or the utility inside the game of that item but it's about it's more about how the value is perceived by the player or the player around them um, so it doesn't matter how cheap it is at least from my perspective it's more about how do they perceive that that uh, that price or that uh, the value for example, P2Pay are really well perceived, but for the kind of monetization, not, not that much about the actual pricing that it is. Um, as, uh, for example, Paywall may not work properly because uh, um, that, I put it in this way. So I'm a player that is a level 2,500,000 uh, 
25 and I find the paywall because to, to access new content I need to pay uh, why why would I pay like there are 20 million other games in the market that are the same so I'm not going to spend my money to pay to play more levels but I may want to spend money to have um, a specific item or a specific booster in case of uh, our game for example so it's, it's more about the perception than actually the cost itself the cost is, is just a value. You can be tested. You can change it, which it is. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's more about the system around it that is the important one. I think um, what I'm seeing as a challenge is that people are going to have hard times um, innovating in this space. Uh, there's a lot of risk at hand, obviously, and I would love to know uh, or get an understanding from both of you about like what you think. The opportunities are for for people to innovate in the space and we've seen like the past 15 years you know so major changes in in and in, in things and a lot of people are following and I, I love uh stan what you talked about like in relation to obviously knowing your audience and making research basically what you're saying uh but i keep getting into this position i feel like where you're constantly trying to compare yourself to others and trying to be uh, and back to Georgia's perspective about value, trying to you know compare favorably in that sense. But I feel like it doesn't leave any room for innovation and and changing how you uh, do your business model. Do you feel that is that that's true, or do you feel like there is room or ways to do it? Uh, I guess we'll uh, give us a stand first on this one. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, you 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 were right. Um, it's constantly evolving, so that's that that's one thing, and we are constantly comparing uh, ourselves to to other products there. But I also see this as a little bit of strength because I'm a great believer in cross pollination of ideas. So what worked for us very well is uh, borrowing from other genres. So uh, you you should not really kind of try to keep an eye only on your closest competitors or the games that are in the same kind of space like that you are operating, but also kind of watch uh, other games, not only other free-to-play games or other games that run as a service, but anything from back in the history of, of 16-bit and 8-bit days to, to, to stuff that's uh, happening in indie space, to stuff that's happening in the places like China, Korea, Japan and try to to see um, the patterns that work there, that resonate with players, and see if they make any sense in in your context. And when I say that, it's it's not just copying the pattern, but more like being inspired, like learning what is the 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 thing that makes it tick, and how can you utilize it there. So that that if you can do that, that that's a great opportunity. And that worked reasonably well for us trying to adopt various various things um georgia no i i fully full agree like um, like not being stuck on what uh, your game is doing or what the competition is doing this is super super important but this is in any kind of things not only on the monetization system level uh, like it's important to look around um, like um, we move a lot with I don't know um, with seasonal content it may not be like things that uh, they come from the casual environments but uh, it's, it's, it's like something you see in a lot of other games that is not nothing to do with the actual uh, casual markets so being able to understand other um, 
system and uh, understanding why they are working and how they are working is, I think, it's really, really important. Absolutely, in whatever kind of uh, part of the game you are talking about, what whatever you are doing in general, um, and there is always, I think, a space for innovation, like in whatever innovation should always be there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Casey, do you have any uh, closing thoughts on the on that? No, I think it's uh, very interesting. And actually, uh, while uh, you were talking, I was thinking about like maybe it's one of those things where you're standardizing as well, and we're like slowly getting that. We we had like a lot of shifts the past ten years, and I was thinking about like if you go and buy a car, uh, it's a given that the car has four wheels attached to it when you get it, or the steering wheel. Maybe in the future there is no steering wheel, uh, or if you're into three-wheeled cars, that's a different discussion. But but there are standards like you know you're getting your radio you're getting a, i don't know a handbrake whatever maybe that is the same case here where right now we're kind of at a point where there are standards in a sense and you are being inspired by them uh and maybe you should look outside of your genre as well and and, and adapt some of these things to your title yeah uh george it looks like you want to make a point there yeah, I think it's a really good point because it's not only about creating the expectation, but it's creating the expectation and straight after exceeding them. So in the moment in which you know you're going to get the game, if I play a match three, this is okay. So match three is the minimum that uh, is fun to play, but then you're going to exceed on the expectation and give like the, the stereo or the whatever. Yeah, that that's really important, yes. Yeah, that's definitely something I, I find interesting just as, as a player. Uh, you know, there are standards that uh, we look for. You know, I'm not a game developer, but yeah, I do get disappointed when uh, the standard things aren't there in a game. Um, but I guess uh, with that, then we'll move over to our uh, next question. Uh, so Stanislav, uh, we'll come to you. Uh, your question actually comes from someone who uh, can't be with us today, unfortunately, uh, Craig Morrison from DICE. Uh, but do you mind telling us uh, the question? Uh, you're uh, muted, Stan. Sorry. Um... Yeah, we touched uh, a little bit on this already when we were talking about the first question. Um, and the question is actually, with the modern audience expectations, how do you balance between quantity and quality in live service games? And where it touches is basically, like we said, okay, you, you need to create value for the players, and that implies a certain level of quality, but then you need to do this consistently over and over since your live service depends on that. And then things become th things are hard when you need to do them once, it becomes easier when you need to repeat it, but when you need to repeat it tens of hundred times, it becomes hard in a in a in an entirely different way. So I would really like to 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 see a bit of discussion on this matter. So, uh, Georgia, I guess we'll uh, jump to you uh, first on this one. Yeah, um, this is. I, I, um, I don't know if you're intending with quality um, quality. You intend variety as well, or like. I'm not extremely sure about it, but to be honest, it depends what you want to monetize at the end of the story. So, what what, what do you want to, the the player to be focused on? Uh, but to be honest, you can give a lot of content, but if they're crap, no one is gonna play them. So it, the quality needs to be there anyway. And I have to say that, especially with us, uh, a lot of players play in games because they know that the quality is high. So they know that actually when they get this product, they have something that is pretty good. Um. So then, at that point, uh, as again, it's not only creating the, the game, the the player expectation, but then you have also to exceed them, and the player are always going to expect more. 
So it's not that there is always a threshold. They all are going to want more. So is it fine when you have to have the business as usual? You have the 45 levels that you have to deliver every every Friday and they are happy with it. But then it becomes a little bit more complicated when you have to uh, invest on uh, seasonal content, when you have to make new features, when you want to change the art direction as we did a couple of years ago. Uh, and then there are, at that point is about how you build uh, things like how clever are you in building system instead of building on a tantrum experience that actually can be recycled or can help you. So it's about building the fundamental to gen, uh, fundamentals to just building on the top of it so that it's, then it's not painful to, to create content or to uh, change content or like adapt the content to the, the, the public audience. So it's not about the quantity or quality, it's about how clever you build things. Um, yeah, that's my perspective. No, definitely. And uh, Casey? Uh, absolutely. I think both uh, Stan and Georgia had some really good points. And I think Stan had a keyword, which was, uh, for me, uh, consistency. Uh, and I think for me, this is like, uh, it goes back to uh, basic psychology. I mean, uh, we were talking about uh, cows and cats before the call. But um, you know, my cat, I just got a cat recently. And my cat wakes me up at 7 a.m. Because or she stands by my bed at 7 a.m. because she knows that I'm going to wake up at that time and I'm going to feed her. And I think uh, if you look at brand building and uh, your expectation of a brand, if we take something like McDonald's, let's say, whatever country you go to, McDonald's is going to behave the same. Now, obviously, certain countries will have some 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 special items on the menu, but your experience, generally speaking, is going to be the same. And I think for me, um, this is what players would expect. Regardless of quantity or quality, those are just you know, sub-factors of the consistency. Uh, you look at, as an example, Destiny that might launch one, two, three DLCs per year. Players come to expect that. They've been doing so for the past three, four years. Or you look at a free-to-play game like uh, World of Tanks or whatever, where they have a lot of these systems where they want you to constantly log in on a daily basis to have a streak. So I think uh, consistency here in what you're in the service you're providing, and I think this is a <laughs> this is a very interesting thing. Like service, service is a keyword here. You're you are providing entertainment, obviously, but this is a service, and the service is based on consistency. Uh, I think there is another item here as well on top of consistency, which is uh, the X factor. Uh, obviously, consistency gets very old. And the X factor for me is like, you know, surprise and delight. So you have to have some things in your pocket that can, you know, could could like bump up your numbers or change things. If it's a game mode, if it's something, you know, if you're celebrating something specific for the for the game. Uh, but those two go hand in hand. And, and uh, interestingly enough, with the game that I'm working on right now, I'm doing some some research. And then I'm looking at if you if you go on, I think here's a really good tip for indie developers, but maybe all developers alike. Steam charts. Steam charts should be like a tool taught to every single developer in the industry. So for my game, well, and the thing I'm working on, I look at Payday 2, I look at Dead by Daylight, Deep Rock Galactic, Hunt Showdown, GTFO, whatever game you take that has been going on for a couple of years. Look at the chart, the all-time chart. It's almost the same chart. They start very small, very flat, and slowly over a couple of years, they build a bigger and bigger uh, line. And that is indicative of their consistency because if they're not delivering, then obviously the the the, uh, the audience will go away. Uh, and you see some of these games like Payday 2 as an example. 
they they had a lot of issues on multiple fronts, and you can see the audience dip and 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 leave. And once they come back, and you know, Starbreeze had a lot of issues uh, as a company, but they come back, they start continuing providing that service, and and the players uh, followed along. No, definitely. I'm uh, glad you actually mentioned uh, Steam charts there, because it's something I uh, look at quite a lot for uh, Halo Infinite, uh, which you may be aware of the uh, decline there. Um, but it's also relevant to the question in terms of um, quantity and uh, quality there. So I don't know if, uh, you know, with Twitch streams, there's droppable items uh, that you can unlock. And uh, one thing, as a player at least, I've noticed is um, like the dropped items that you get from Twitch stream from watching it they're sometimes almost identical to the purchasable items in game. So I was just wondering what your uh, thoughts on uh, games that kind of fall into that trap there. So uh, the trap is that they're providing equal value on the items they're giving for free versus the game, the items that are selling, right? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah, so say, for example, uh, a gun that has like a, a red stripe along the barrel, for example, that you can get for free by just watching a, a stream, uh, but then it's in the store, you know, once every month, for example. Is it the exact same? It, no, it's like, it, it's like a tiny difference. <laughs> like it might have like a chip or a scratch mark. And that's the difference. The, that's the that's difference. literally the difference. Yeah. No, but that's the difference that's going to make up, you know, the break or make the thing. Uh, and, and the people who bought it know the difference, right? Uh, and the people who will come, come later will be the second class citizens so, <laughs> in a sense. But I think, I think this is obviously what you're talking about is an acquisition uh, methodology of using these uh, channels and uh, game development. I'm, I'm sure Stan and Georgia has have some really good stories here, but game development is extremely complex. I mean, the amount of things, and obviously we're all developers here, the amount of things and the amount of people and the amount of like the organization and, 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 and resources and, you know, you're managing all that. It's, it's crazy. It's like running a country in a sense. Um, and, one of the reasons you could find these types of things happen is because they don't have the resources. Okay, cut corners. Let's just make this happen quickly because we need X amount of users. Put it out. They see some results. Great. We made less amount of effort for maximum gain, possibly, potentially. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a baited question just to spark a bit of a conversation there. But uh, Georgia, Stan, any thoughts on that? Again, it's, it's about um, value, like uh, how much they value the item. If I get to something before because I pay, this is the status of the player. I, I'm I'm the one who actually spent 20 hours in that game, and I, I actually like got it first. So it's, it's about how much they value it. It's, it's uh, pretty rational, but it's how human beings are made. Like, we want to be the... We well, want to keep the status, which is like real life or is a game. It's, it's pretty much the same. There is no difference. And yeah. uh, Stan? So, well, perceiving value and, and, and that sort of stuff, it's it's very, very funny uh, part of human psychology. I remember half, I remember some some years ago, Half Brick from, from Australia was running this thing. They were introducing, they were going to introduce a new gadget in, in one of their games. They announced when they are going to introduce it, and it would become available basically for free for, for, for any player. But then they were offering to people to buy it in advance for some price that was actually rather high, if I remember correctly. And people were even buying it just to have it on day one already, and just to say that they bought it. So it's kind of a funny funny thing. But that being said, like in, in, in games that I worked on, we were always trying to 
when we were obviously we were sometimes reusing stuff but we were either trying to be honest about it and saying like okay we are reusing this thing or reintroducing this thing or modify things enough for them to be justifiably different uh, so that people would recognize so the, there, there would be uh, more of a difference than 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 just a stripe, for sure. So that would be kind of on the on the first, and that's the that's kind of the the key to it, I guess. So whenever you are releasing a batch of, of new content, you need to kind of at least we tried always to have the couple of items that are clearly the 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 centerpieces of the of the batch, and they are high, high quality. Then some stuff that's that's um, probably there to provide the quantity but it's kind of still on on good enough level and then maybe some stuff that we are bringing from the back catalog and again being honest about it uh, my my kind of biggest biggest nightmares are about the, the christmas content whenever we release it because it goes every year and it supposed to fit in the same kind of imagery so you can't really innovate or go too crazy about it but players still expect it and it's slightly cheesy always but then again that's that's the part of magic of it but if you need to do it seven years in a row it kind of gets repetitive whatever whatever you have to do so most of my you know anecdotes are tied to that we never had that problem with halloween content it was always kind of fun working there because you although it's kind of also uh, clearly defined in visual sense in one way then you have much more freedom to do a lot of whimsical stuff so there so so that kind of thing yeah some uh, brilliant insights there uh, anyone got any final comments before we go to our next question <laughs> all right awesome so uh, i guess uh, georgia let's hear uh, your question let's see if i make sense so <laughs> what do you think is the key for meeting play player expectation so how you use the player motivation uh, consider that, as I mentioned before, we, business as usual is pretty easy. You have what you have, but when it gets more complicated, how do you do that when you introduce seasonal content, for example, Christmas or Halloween, um, or when you have to introduce a new feature? Um, how can you use the cadence but exceed the expectations so that the player gets involved with it? And how do you give uh, maybe bite-sized experiences so that they can even want more? So they don't uh, they they crave something more. Yeah, definitely. It looks like uh, Casey. You want to go first on this one? Um, I think it's more like I would like to build on on this in terms of do we feel like um, to meet player expectations? I feel like there are two um, moments to do that. One is pre-launching a product, and then one is about once the product is out in the wild. And I would like to kick it back to to hear what you think about that, Georgia. Uh, and we are talking about the live environments, so I would say when it's already live, the, the game. Absolutely. Um, but I think uh, uh, it's still important to keep that in mind that you're always, um, you know, user testing and researching the things that you're working on and making sure that um, you're having a, con a continuous dialogue with your user base and you can do it in, in, in multiple ways. Uh, but once in the wild, uh, communication with your customers is gonna probably be number one in terms of uh, meeting their expectations. And, and, and at the same time, back to what we were talking about in the last uh, question, uh, keeping the surprise and delight in place as well. 
to not, you know, just blurb out everything that you're going to do to keep their interest. Uh, But I think uh, from my experience, um, you know, user testing, uh, researching uh, what other games are doing, researching your own audience and what they are appreciating. Uh, Data is is hugely under... under uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, underutilized by indie developers, I would say. Uh, there's a lot of you know, um, th- it has to be a balance between what you see, you know, the fractions of your audience that are actually talking on, if it's on social or on on forums or whatever, versus your actual audience who are playing day in day out. There needs to be a very good balance for you to to take uh, lessons from in that uh, regard. Funny story. Uh, I was working on a game called Battlefield Heroes. Uh, it's one of the pioneer games. It's one of the, it's the game that that you know launched the hero type shooter in the modern sense. Uh, but this was back in 2011, 12. Um, a game that is you know before its time, before its time, a really good game. In any case, um, they they asked the community, hey, what kind of like content do you want? And you know people were talking about, hey, we need like stop with the with the weird alien or Halloween stuff. We need skins from World War One or two. We need like these you know very military skins. And then the developers went ahead, created those skins, and then I'll let you uh, detect what the consequences was from that in terms of sales. Uh, so it's it's a it's a very interesting conversation to have. Yeah, uh, Stan, looks like you want to make a comment there. Yeah, uh, I really like the point about getting to know your audience, and and but also in in terms of, of of making a distinction of what gets said out loud and what does data show? Because humans are, are weird things. What people think, what people do, what people tell to themselves and what people choose to articulate are four different things. They might be somewhat correlated, but not always. Uh, and getting to understand those bits, it's its the hard part of that. So basically, you need to combine both sources. So you need to monitor what people are uh, are, are talking about so this is what they are actively saying to you uh, probably through channels that you as a, as a team control I know forums Facebook pages reddit groups Twitch whatever uh, discord whatever you have uh, but also you equally important is to monitor the stuff that's not kind of maintained by you you yourself I, we, there was reddit groups and Facebook groups about our game which we never kind of publicly communicated with, but we were constantly monitoring to feel that pulse. Because in that environment where people um, know that it's not kind of an official way of communication with the company, they will articulate their their thoughts in a different way than when talking directly to you, which is obvious. But also, you need to follow the data. And what's, what's interesting there, um, Obviously, the stuff that, that gets said, it's going to be the loud majority, loud minority of people, while data is going to be dominated uh, by the majority of people, which are most likely remaining silent. And when you manage to kind of couple those two things, then you 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 get to learn what your audience actually wants. And for me, it was also funny learning that audience. It's not so much about whether emotion that gets said is positive or negative, but the amplitude of emotion. So if you get a big reaction, uh, that means that you are onto something. Even if they, uh, so sometimes you 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 release new new stuff that's really awesome, 
and everybody is oh this is great and and then that follows through with the with data and sometimes you release some stuff that's kind of evasive so you get a noise from a lot of people that say this like okay this is a crime of the against humanity what you did to this game and you are ruining our childhoods and whatnot but it might be not really that you are doing something wrong it might be that people that are already emotionally attached to your game are saying okay this is a new challenge i see what you did there i have to relearn the rules of the game i'm raising up to the challenge actually that's what what they are saying but they are kind of uh, saying it in a, in a, um, articulating it in a negative way, but actually the data shows that they are uh, engaging with the game uh, like crazy after that update or something like that. The, the worst possible thing that you get is is where there's no reaction at all. Where it's just okay, meh, not, nothing really, nothing really there. And then probably that's reflected in in data not moving, moving your KPIs not moving anywhere as well. So that's the that's the thing. Yeah, uh, George, it looks like you, you wanted to make a point on that first, and then Casey? Uh, there are two things that you say that reminds me of two different things. First one, it was like the, the, the people that are uh, raging are the first one to, to rage, to, to be bowel. That's no, there's a, a thing in whatever. Um, we have a really good community. Uh, we care about the player, and the player tells us a lot of, uh, of things. Though there is uh, two things about it. First one, if uh, there's something you say that is extremely true, if you bring them in your environment, they're always going to try to be nice. So that's why sometimes it's hard to do focus groups inside the in-house, in, in the office, because <clears throat> they are there, they know they are talking to you, they are nice to you, and uh, they met the people that made the game that they love. So what do you expect them to tell you? And the other thing is that, uh, yes, people that rage, they rage for fir first, and also they don't know what they want, in the sense that you have to understand them. And I have one nice story about it. A, couple, a few years ago, I think it was five years ago, we changed the VFX on the on the Candy Crush, and uh, we made like a lot more visible, like the, what was going on, because we wanted the player to understand better what was happening. The first answer we had was like really, really bad. Like people like saying, "Ah, oh, you want to kill me? You want to give me seizure? You are killing me!" And I was like devastated because I was reading all these things. It was my fault, practically. Uh, not, not only my fault, but uh, part of it, <laughs> sure thing. And then uh, I, I, we, we talked with data, but actually the, the game rounds were increasing because actually the game was more, more readable. So, of course, the people that rage, they just always first. But actually, it was a good thing because they could actually read the game better. So they could actually go through the game. And... And the other story is like how do we interpret their comments? Because, for example, when we changed the art, uh, told you a couple of years ago, we changed the entire art, and I was really worried about how the player would perceive it. Because, of course, it's a, it's a giant franchise, like it's a big thing, and people are used to it. So I was super uh, um, afraid of it. But when when then we roll it out, players perceive it pretty well. And then amongst the comments, there was this lady was asking us, ah, I would like you to keep uh, like uh, Kimi, which is our main character, with the with this karate outfit, I was like, oh my god, how can I put this karate outfit? It's totally doesn't make any sense with the game. Doesn't make any sense with the world in which we are. I can give it to her, though. Why she wanted it? Like, does she really want a karate outfit in the game? Probably no. What she wants it was like she was she wanted just a strong female character in the in the in the game. So. 
can I not use uh, the karate outfit to give it to her? Can I use like animation or uh, attitude of the character to give this back to the character, to the player? So they actually still have the feeling, but not the same visuals of before. And it pretty much worked, it worked pretty well. So it got perceived pretty well. Uh, the art was perceived really, really well. So I'm, I'm super happy about it. But it's about like trying to interpret what they're asking you because they probably ask you something really specific, but what actually they want regarding this, which is pretty much what you were mentioning, is it? So. Yeah, no, that's a brilliant point, especially like understanding what actually the player wants uh, by what they actually say. Uh, Casey? Yeah, to, to kind of like summarize this, I feel like there are um, some inputs. Okay, so data is one input where we discuss. Uh, social media and the loud voices uh, is another one. Uh, and then you have um, the private user testing, or if it's um, a focus group of some sort that is um, not curated by you necessarily, um, a bit more scientific. And then um, you have core audience. Uh, and from core audience, I think there is something there that is very special in terms of selecting, like handpicking gems from your audience. That there are so many, there are so many awesome people in in different communities of games that almost and many of them actually do get recruited as developers after a while because they do so much work for you uh, and and i think companies need to appreciate those people um and really like um work with them closely uh, because a lot of those people can provide you a balanced even though they're they they know sometimes they know more about your game than you yourself and i think those type of people you can if you can handpick those gems and have have them work with you closer i think those people could definitely help you a lot um, and then finally i think there is another input which could be influencers as well uh, influencers are playing a bigger and bigger role uh, these days in in shaping not necessarily shaping how games are made but shaping the success of, of a game and, and and taking that input into account. So we're looking at now five inputs. We said you know do data. We said social media and the loud voices, uh, the private user testing that is more scientific, the core audience and the gems, and then finally the influencers. Now you have five to to keep an eye out. It's a bit more complex than it was a couple of years ago. Uh, but I would love to hear if there are other inputs that that you know Stan or Georgia think there are. Yeah, uh, either of you want to go first on that one. <laughs> I know else uh, thinking about you know say influences uh, the first thing that comes to mind which is topical within the Nordics is uh, Mo Yang with uh, Mob Vote and uh, I believe uh, a famous YouTuber who shan't be named uh, basically said, uh, like this tweet uh, and I'll vote you know vote for this one sort of thing I'll like back uh, and that kind of completely wrecked uh, the vote and so influences are a, a gift and a curse I'd say at least um, I, I but, think to that point Adam I, I feel like what you're describing is that you need to have control as well you need to yeah. clearly display who's in control because if you lose control then you're you're, you're screwed and you know you're at the, mer the mercy of you know if it's influencers or or you know the loud voices or whoever <laughs> yeah definitely um it's definitely a good point um stan georgia have you thought of any other uh, contributing factors there I, I think the case uh, covered pretty pretty well what are the main main aspects i really like the 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 thing of, of keeping things in control meaning you're not supposed to you you're supposed to um, extract information from all these inputs but 
and use that as guidance. And also you need to compare one versus another. If you tr try to chase just one source and constantly try to please only that one source, you are probably not gonna do a very good job. It's, it's you need to balance things out. If we understand you think about like how you take control of the uh, <laughs> of the voices around, I don't know if it's possible. Like it depends how big is the game. <laughs> Because having control on, on games like they have uh, practically more than half of the population playing it, I, I don't need, I, I don't know how much is feasible. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much control you have actually on it. <laughs> I'll explain a bit. I think for me, control is as soon as you cave in to demands, that's probably when you kind of either have lost or on are on the verge of, of losing. And I think. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, like, you know, we, we constantly hear in games, like, hey, this weapon is in balance, or, or this thing is not working the way I want it to work, right? And then you might hear, hear a lot of people talk about that. And what I come to learn as of late, I, I'm not sure what game it was, but I, there were some developers that were genius in terms of having the courage and patience to not... Oh, yeah, I know. If you look at a game like Counter-Strike that receives very few balance changes and it takes a lot of time for those developers to actually act i think that is a good thing because that shows they're in control they're not acting on a whim just because uh you know some loud voices over the last patch you know started uh, screaming uh, obviously you have to be realistic and, and act. if something is broken you have to fix it but but if you keep and this goes back to consistency basically if, if you're methodical if you're consistent in your work uh i feel like you can keep that control and, and stay on top of your game instead of, you know, being at the mercy of, of other people. And I would love to, uh, if that's okay, I would love to ask both Stan and Georgia how, how they balance in their minds when they're looking at data versus community. Uh, and obviously we broke down community in multiple facets. How do you, is it like a 75% balance between data and community 25? Or do you like, how do you think about that? I would, I would love to hear that. Well, I'm more a data-driven person, to be honest. Um, so I will, I will listen to the player. I listen to the player a lot, um, and I. But I also need the backup of the data. On the other side, data by itself doesn't mean anything. You need to interpret this. Is is uh, like uh, you can check uh, how many installs you got from a specific ad or how many. But if you don't look at it, you don't compare it with other things. If you don't uh, have a human actually <laughs> checking on what is going on, the data is is totally just a number at that point. It doesn't use. I think it's it's a little bit of a balance there. Um, but it's not, uh, it, yes, other things. So like, how do you analyze the data? How you listen to the player? And even the player, what kind of player are you listening to? Where is the player? Because I was mentioning before, if you do a focus group inside the office, for example, that is going to be totally different from if you do a, um, a focus group outside of the office, for example. Uh, what kind of player you're uh, you're focusing? What, what kind of player are coming? Are a um, VIP player? Are like, people that don't know the game at all. So there's so many 
ways. And then other, on the other side, it depends uh, the different way you test things. It depends on what are you testing. So in art, uh, you can rely only on a few people, for example, even though you want uh, people to talk to you. So it's kind of a really, really, it's, it's about uh, quality and quantity kind of data collection as well. So uh, maybe you can uh, clean up a little bit the option with a qualitative and then, but then you, you need to, the quantitative to give you the actual the actual numbers or the actual information. Uh, it, it, it all depends on what, are you, what information you're looking for and what you are, what exactly you are testing. Are you testing the art style? Are you testing one specific character? Are you testing how this will be perceived from a specific uh, community? Or like, is so many different um, variable and all of this uh, as different kind of testing and different kind of data collection or interpretation. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's just one way I prefer to do it. It depends exactly, it depends what I'm doing and what, what kind of answer I'm looking for. I, I have to ask again, because I feel like one of them represents emotion and the other one represents uh, science. And that's why I asked, like, how do you, what's the balance between those? And obviously it seems like, you know, the science is a heavier balance, but I would love to like... <laughs> But even the science, uh, even the number besides the science needs to interpretation, emotional interpretation on the top of it. So it's, it's just uh, depends what are you looking for. And what and on the other side, at the end of the story, you have to trust your gut. Like in any case, uh, whatever answer you're going to get from this, from the player, from the data, there is a, a risk you have to take personally. So the emotional investment is still there. We are still human. So it's, it's not going to change yeah uh, i'm interested to hear uh, stan your uh, take on this i have from you in a while yeah it's a it's a hard one because i couldn't put the the exact number and say okay like this is 50 percent versus you know 30 versus 10 or versus 20 and anything like that um it really depends i really like george's point that it depends on what kind of information are you looking for and actually what are you examining because some stuff is easier to read, to derive just from data, and in that case, you should kind of fly fly by that. For example, if you are dealing with something that follows an established template, and you are just changing the theme of that. Let's say you have a season pass teams, and you you already balanced everything out, and it's just uh, does uh, this particular team from this season work better than the previous one? You can kind of pretty much compare apple to apples, apples to apple, uh, apples, and then then see if you are improving or or increasing or decreasing. So data is pretty easy to read there, all, although the content is all about emotion. But then again, if you're introducing a new gameplay mechanic, for example, then things become really hard because people uh, data might show you something, but in order to interpret that data, you need much more of player feedback to understand. And it's paradoxical because you're dealing with a system and you would expect that if you're dealing with a system and mechanic and something that numbers will tell you the truth, story, it's not, it's actually where the emotion actually comes to play or the uh, perception of the mechanic that you are playing playing there so it's really about what what sort of thing are you trying to to measure and, and derive so it swings uh but i think that they they in general on average they 
play equally important parts in equal important parts it depends also on the quality of those uh, my favorite sources were uh, the players themselves when they did speak among them, themselves on, on red pages for example i was reading that religiously every day that was a good source for us in, in that uh, that sensor groups um, our data also what we get from in our forum as complaints, but also the, the, the customer support tickets that we, that we were getting, because you would get interesting stuff coming up there and kind of monitoring, monitoring that stuff as well. So that was the, the, um, that was the big chunk and, and trying to correlate that was always the, the fun bit or the difficult part. Nice. Uh, I think uh, we have got one more question. So I just want to ask, has anyone got any uh, closing points on, uh, on George's question there? I just want to say sorry that I didn't manage to give you some number <laughs> on percentage. It's all good. I think I think we got some really good insights in terms of how to think about things, uh, which is probably the important thing here. Uh, and I think uh, I wanted to actually ask you again the same question, but you're trying to build something new, right? Like a new uh, mechanic, let's say, in the game. How do you go about doing that? Because obviously it's a creative process, and creative process always starts from an emotion, I feel like. Um, or maybe it can start from a data if you're looking to affect a specific behavior. You're looking for a specific behavior, and that's how you're creating things. And uh, I would love to hear from you um, on your methods. Uh, we do both. I, I personally do both. Introducing new mechanic, it kind of is probably the hardest problem in the in the in the live series uh, because ideally you would like to introduce something that adds to the game as a whole. So then you see some sort of a stepwise increase in, in whatever KPIs you are following and usually they're universal. Um, but then you also don't want to ruin things. You don't want to uh, create something that distracts from the, the already stuff that already works there. You also don't want to waste effort in developing something that's not going to resonate with, with players. And I say, like, if you have data, so if you have already a game that's running for a while for a live service, it's good to start from there and observe the player behaviors, see if there are groups of players that are somehow underserved by your game at that point, and try to introduce something that you that would get their their attention, usually engagement at certain periods of time or something like that. So start from there, because from there you can derive motivations already. Uh, and then from motivation, so it's not about emotion, but rather a motivation, which is still very deeply psychological, psychologically motivated thing. And then you construct a mechanic that you think that, you, that would work. Now the difficult part is validating your assumptions, and that's the that's the hard hard bit, especially if it's a live game. What we try to do is do mini soft launches, like uh, launch a feature to a limited subset of players and see if it works for them uh, and see how to modify it. What also was helping for us that all the main uh, big features that were kind of <laughs> game changers in terms of mechanic, we treat it as a platform. So we didn't, we consciously acknowledge that we are not going to get it right for the first, from the first time, but get it good enough so that it doesn't, doesn't disappoint and doesn't break. And then treat it as a platform upon which you build the other stuff. 
uh, later. And what that usually meant, we didn't try to hit all the goals for a feature all at once. The prime thing for us was usually the engagement with players so that they start engaging with feature. And then later on, we would think about monetizing there if, if we were going for a, a straight of direct monetization feature or kind of trying to develop it fully in terms of content and so on. And usually it went in a, in a span of, of several updates. To, to get it to the full, full form. Same applies for balancing uh, of, the, of the feature. Usually we would, right off the bat, you, you are likely to make some mistake, but you try to minimize those errors going in a direction that you can uh, safely change, change values. So you can always make things easier for players, but it's kind of bad to make them harder. You can always make something less expensive to players or requiring less effort. And it's going to get as a as a as a uh, good result, instead of kind of uh, realizing that you need to make some rebalance something and make it harder, make it more difficult or something to 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 make sense as a, as a, as a thing. But yeah, we would always try to to do it gradually and 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 test it as as uh, as soon as we have a solid enough package that it stands on its own. Not perfect, but good. Yeah, George, it looks like you want to respond to that. Yes, and uh, I agree. This is pretty much how game development goes for features. But um, I have a, uh, you raised me like a question for you, specifically for you. Um, slicing. Slicing a really good way to release something without uh, uh, doing 100% of the efforts. So you slice this, this, this small little bit and pieces that the player can uh, give you feedback. When do you know that the slice one is good enough to actually give you the numbers that may be valuable for you? Sorry, sorry just a quick question. When we say slicing, do we mean uh, A-B testing or are we talking about versioning? Uh, uh, versioning, no, slicing. Like uh, the first... Batch, for example, you suddenly were mentioning doesn't have the monetization, for example, or the the part that doesn't have uh, maybe I don't know um, social or uh, this kind of thing. How, when do you know that the first slice is good enough for you to get the data back that you are looking for, or the confirmation that you need? That's actually an excellent question, and I'm afraid that. <laughs> With all these years, I don't have a perfect answer for it. It goes back to kind of uh, tr trusting your guts. Uh, there's this is where this thing stops being science and becomes art. Uh, again, you need to to know your game, your players, and, and and your development team to know that this is kind of. And I know that this is not a good answer uh, because it's it can't be replicated easily, but. Uh, it goes to that. But again, you need to put yourself in the shoes of the player and think about, does this provide enough um, basically entertainment? Does this make sense from the player's perspective? Uh, does it look polished enough? Does it allow for the player to complete some meaningful loop or some meaningful set of tasks that is kind of minimal for the thing and then try to release it? You know, it's very vague. But this is why it's 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 so hard. Actually, making making games is hard. Making good games is even harder. So that's the that's the thing. I'm sorry for all the people that might be listening to this and trying to kind of 
learn on this it's it's a, i'm afraid in my case it was tri trial and error i don't know if somebody has a better better way of of conveying this but yeah it is hard i will help you stan i i think uh there is uh, some things you can do as a developer on your end which is standardization and and and, and methodology so what i'm trying to say here is that uh, i Developer, developers that are failing in the live service space, what I'm seeing is, um, you know, again, consistency. And consistency is not just about what you deliver to the player, but also how you behave internally uh, and how you create things. And and if you're inconsistent, if you don't have if you ha don't have good pipelines, if you haven't developed like good processes in house to how to, how do you deduct? if something is becoming successful or unsuccessful. Like, what is the determining factor, KPI, whatever you want to call it? Because ultimately, obviously, you have to trust your gut and all that stuff, but uh, your gut has parameters to it. And what do you determine as successful or not? Like, wh when you are developing something, at what stage do you decide if this is good enough to show or not show? Uh, and what stage do you decide that, you know, you're going to cut it and, 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 you know, cut your losses and, and start over? So I think... For for indie developers, for for very young people who are starting this industry, who are making mistakes in terms of like the just base basic development methodology. A lot of these people who come up with amazing games. I mean, we we'll look at Valheim as an example. Made amazing numbers, sold a ton of games, and then you know you look at at Steam charts, and and the game kind of has has plateaued. And the question is there like, what are they doing internally to make themselves become like a machine? Uh, and that machine needs to spit out content continuously and like we said in the, earlier in the, in, the, in the call it doesn't have to be a daily thing as long as you're consistent with how you deliver things that could help you a lot i think that's uh, actually quite a good uh, closing statement there because i'm uh, conscious of time but i think that quite rounds up uh, how to maintain player expectations in live service uh, and as well with uh, one of george's points earlier uh, about uh, delivering value so i think we could tie the two together, you know, consistently uh, delivering value to players uh, is the way to maintain player expectations in live service. Uh, I hope we can all agree on that. <laughs> we are pretty wild. If you leave us talking, we're just going to have a conversation. So <laughs> we're not going to ignore the format here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I say, we're conscious of time, but does anyone have any like closing statements apart from that um, or anything they want to just quickly add? I will no. say, trust your gut. If yeah. you're a developer, trust your gut. You know more than what you think you do, most likely. Well, yeah, yes and no, though. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, if, if you're like, I, I think, uh, trust your gut. I, I'm, I, I'm seeing this a lot, and back to the indie developers. Trust your gut. Like, you made a good product, right? You release it in the wild. People appreciate it. Now, you need to learn from other people and you need to like really understand how to continue that success because essentially what you did is it could have been a one-hit wonder it could have been lucky it could have been you know a lot of factors so now you have to like optimize and and and, and create like i said create a machine that is you know that moves forward so uh, the three pillars of uh, a well-oiled machine is delivering value consistency and um the third one, but uh, to the tip of my tongue, and I just completely forgot. It's a process just, methodology. Yeah, trusting your gut. Yes. Just, just your gut. gut, but not too much. Just <laughs> <laughs> enough. <laughs>
But uh, I think that uh, well enough uh, rounds off the uh, the podcast there. Uh, so I guess we'll leave it there. I want to uh, thank you guys, you know, uh, Casey, you. Georgia, Stanislav, uh, for giving your insight into the uh, topic, and uh, Craig Morrison uh, for your uh, question delivered by uh, STEM. And I think uh, one of our guests that couldn't join us today, Manuel Lanes, uh, I think his question about alienation was kind of interwoven into our uh, conversations here today. So uh, if you want to get involved in one of our future upcoming podcasts, then uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at adam.miller-betridge at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.